As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey, everyone. The White Sox Talk podcast is brought to you by Wintrust, community bank home of White Sox checking with free ATMs nationwide. Check out their special White Sox webpage. It's www.wintrust.com slash Sox. Chuck Carfine with you. And Manny Machado was public enemy number one during the NLCS against Milwaukee Brewers. And when that was going on, the guy that kept popping in my head was A.J. Przinsky. I wanted to hear what A.J. had to say about what Manny was doing, the booze that he was uh, faced with when he went back to Milwaukee. Uh, he could relate, I would assume, A.J. Przinsky to Manny Machado. So, today on the podcast, a long talk with A.J. Przinsky about Machado, who uh, talks about what Manny did, if he thinks Manny's a dirty player, uh, should he become the face of a franchise like the White Sox? And I even asked AJ if he was to choose between Manny Machado and Nolan Arenado, who would AJ choose? And he, hands down, said one guy over the other, and he'll tell you about that. Uh, me and AJ talked about the bullpenning that's been going on in the postseason and how uh, AJ thinks it cost the Brewers a spot in the World Series. Tipping pitches. Uh, that was something that happened with Craig Kimbrell. And Alex Cora got a little uh, message from his friend Eric Gagne about that. So I, I asked AJ about tipping pitches. And he said something that shocked me. There was a former White Sox hitter who was... Like, the guy, the guy to know and find and spot when a pitcher was tipping his pitches. And when you find out who this person is, you are going to be shocked. That's coming up. And then we did some story time. Story time with A.J. Przinsky. I wanted to hear some behind-the-scenes stories about, oh, Gavin Floyd, Joe Creedy, Nick Swisher, Bartolo Colon, and A.J. Delivered. So all that and more coming up. On uh, the White Sox Talk podcast, a conversation with A.J. Perzinski. Let's do it. White Sox, White Sox, go, go, White Sox. That ball hit deep, way back. Deep to the field. Holy cow. Carlton Fisk has put the White Sox ahead. Jimenez leaves the ballpark. You can't put it on the board. Yes. We got a chance to do something real special. All right, sit back, relax. On the phone, the one and only A.J. Przinsky, who is an ambassador now with the White Sox. Should I start addressing you as Mr. Ambassador? Uh, Why have you not been? (laughs) You like being known as an ambassador? Well, yeah, Chuck, when you call me Mr. Ambassador, it makes me feel special. You are special. You are special. You were playing golf today. That's uh, We can't play golf here in Chicago. It's too cold already. 
Is it really? Well, it's not. It's 50. Would you play golf in 50-degree weather? Well, no, I live in Florida. If it's 50, it's, it's uh, snow gear down here. <laughs> I know. I haven't talked with you since Hawk called his last game, so I just kind of wanted to, like, debrief you and find out, like, what was that like? You know, the, well, the emotions of being in the booth with him for his, for his last game. Um, no, I mean, to me, it was just anticlimactic because they already had, they already had Hawk Day. So it was, it was weird because it was almost just like a regular game. They didn't do a lot other than Joe Madden coming out and the Cubs and the White Sox both tipping their cap, which was a nice t- touch by both teams. But, um, honestly, it was a little sad because I thought there, there could have been a little bit more done, but I understand they had already had Hawk Day and he didn't, he probably didn't want anything more, but, uh, it was, it was a sad day. The score, the final score didn't help either, but you know, no. it was a blowout no, I mean, from the uh, beginning. Yeah, I mean, I was just hoping for a good game, you know. I was hoping maybe for like a walk-off homer from the White Sox so that uh, Hawk could give it one last you could put it on the board, but there wasn't any home runs. There was there was nothing. It was it was sad. How's Hawk doing? Are you checking on him? Um, well, right now they're in the offseason, so they're having a great offseason. They're winning the offseason right now. No, I'm talking about Hawk Harrelson. Are you checking on oh, him? Oh, I thought you said the Sox. <laughs> uh, like the Sox, yeah. Uh, Hawk's doing good. I saw him today. He came out and uh, followed me around out at Bay Hill for a couple holes. And uh, he looks good. He told me he's uh, watching Walker, Texas Ranger, and hanging out. And his son's about to get married, Casey. So he's going up there to Savannah for that. And he's, he's the Hawk. You know, I've just thought about this. For his birthday, I want to get him, if there's a box set, or some kind of like anniversary edition of Walker, Texas Ranger. I want to get him that. Well, he's, I asked him today, I said, Hawk, there's all these great TV shows on TV. Not, I mean, not even on TV, Netflix and Hulu and Prime, Amazon Prime Video. I'm like, Hawk, why do you walk, watch Walker, Texas Ranger? And how many times have you seen him? He goes, I've seen them all at least three to four times. I'm like, well, why don't <laughs> why? you watch something different? He's like, I just love Walker, Texas Ranger. <laughs> I've never even seen this show. I've only heard about it a million times. I just know that Chuck, Chuck Norris is in it. That's all you need to that, know. That's Chuck. all I know. I want to talk some baseball with you. Uh, you were in the booth for Fox for the first two games of the Brewers-Rockies series. You saw Nolan Arenado playing third. So i got to spin this on the White Sox here. If it was your money, if A.J. Brzezinski owned the White Sox, and I know you don't, but if you did, and you had a choice between putting $300 million on the table or whatever it's going to cost, would you sign Arenado or would you sign Manny Machado? You're, that's a joke, right? No, it's a serious you're, question. You're kidding. You're kidding with that, right? What do you mean? I mean, first of all, I said Arenado would give him three hundred million dollars. I would sign him in a second. You'd sign Arenado in a second. Absolutely. And a why him over Machado? Well, I believe Arenado is a better defender. I believe Arenado is more clutch, and I also believe there hasn't been the issues that Manny Machado has had. That Arenado has not had the issues that Manny Machado has had. Yeah, let's talk about that because he's become the villain of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And as someone who has been on the receiving end of some boos and some cuss Who? words in the past, I don't know, it's not me, you. Chuck, you. Not Who me. you, Chuck? Nobody boos you. You're our Chuck. <laughs> how do you, what do you think about Manny Machado and how he's been kind of portrayed and perceived? Well, well first of all, I, I mean, look, we all make mistakes. I get it. We've all done things we wish we wouldn't have done. Okay, I get that. But my biggest thing is, I think he's represented by Boris. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, no. No, okay. I think well, he, might, whoever, he might have changed agents. 
Well, whoever his agent is, I mean, for a fact that you're in the playoffs and you come out and say you don't play as hard as you can, that bothers me. I'm fine with, like, you know, he ran over the first baseman's foot. Okay, you're mad. I get it. You're, you, you make mistakes. You know, he threw a bat at a guy. Okay, I get it. He threw a helmet at a guy. Okay, all that is you're mad, you're emotional. I get that. But to come out after the game and say, yeah, I don't play as hard as I can all the time, to me as a player, an ex-player, and as a fan of a team that's going to spend $300 million on a guy, like, what do you mean you don't play hard every day? Like, that, that would bother me more than the other stuff. I mean, he said he's not Johnny Hustle, right? Yeah, that was the quote to Ken Rosenthal, the athletic. Which, I, I, okay, you're not Johnny Hustle, and I'm not saying you need to false hustle it and, and try to run harder than you need to or harder than you can, but at the same time, you still need to run semi-hard, which doesn't require being Johnny Hustle or um, fake hustling, false hustling, as players call it. It's just called playing it, being a professional. I mean, if you give 85%, or 90%. I understand no one no one can run 100% all the time. I get it. And you're trying to save. You have a bad hamstring or you're having a bad day. You have a bad toe. Whatever it is. But to come out and actually say, hey, I don't always play as hard as I can. To me, that would bother me more than any of the other stuff. Did you hear or see what Jim Palmer tweeted about him? I did not. He goes, I have it right here. This was after he didn't run out the ground ball in game two of the NLCS. He goes, this is Jim Palmer. Once again, Manny doesn't run hard. Down 0-1 in the series, it's a tie ball game at zero in the fourth. Too tired to run hard for 90 feet, but wants the big money. Hashtag pathetic. Jim Palmer. Jim Palmer's in the Hall of Fame. He might know what he's talking about. And he's an announcer for the Orioles and has watched Machado his whole career. <laughs> he probably has seen Machado play a game or two in his career. Absolutely. Um, again, look, I, I don't know the whole story. I only know what he said afterwards and look. Have I never, have I ever hit a ground ball and not run full speed? Absolutely. Have I ever come out in the media and say I don't play as hard as I can? Absolutely not. I mean, I always, that was one thing I always took pride in was trying to do the best I could every day. Did I have good days and bad days? Yes. As a human being, do you have good days and bad days? Yes. Because we're not robots. But at the end of the day, man, to come out and say I don't play as hard as I can, that, that, that hurts as an next player. Yeah. Yelich called him a dirty player. Do you think he's a dirty player? Uh, see, that's that's a, that's a tough that's tough to call somebody because that's kind of getting personal. Yeah. Um, to call someone a dirty player, did he make mistakes? Yeah. Is he a dirty player? I don't know. Did he make mistakes sliding twice in one game? Yeah. Uh, did he try to hurt the guy? No. Did he go? Did he go like Hal McRae when he crushed Willie Randolph or Pete Rose or Shane Victorino that time when he tackled the Brewer guy at second base? No. But did he go outside the rules? Yeah. I mean. Did he kick Aguilar's foot? Yeah, but is he dirty? Was he trying to hurt the guy? I mean, for me, the, the definition of dirty is when you're trying to hurt a guy. Um, and I don't think he was trying to hurt him. I think he was more just trying to send a message to him, like, get out of my way, Yeah, which I understand. But I, I don't know if you can call that dirty. I just call that maybe dumb. <laughs> dumb. I'll say this, though. Where he reminds me of you is that he seems to be feeding off the booze. Buck Showalter said in The Athletic, if they want to do something to wake him up, speaking about Machado, proceed at your own risk. I think he's excelling, not that he wasn't excelling before, but I think he's kind of uh, relishing in the attention he's getting. Do you see that? I do see that. And, 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 when I, and again, I, I, don't mean to, I didn't mean to call Manny Machado dumb at all, but you know the rules sliding into second base. Um, you know, and he's a middle infielder, so he knows what he can do and what he can't do. Um, so maybe dumb is probably the wrong word, but... Do I see him relishing it? Yeah, everyone, look, 
at the end of the day, Chuck, you know, you're on TV. You love attention. You love people to talk about you, right? You love the people to say, oh, I watched Chuck Garfine and he said this today or tweeted out or Instagram it or whatever it is. And people like that. People like attention. People like to feel loved. And there's no, the old saying is there's no such thing as bad publicity. And some people need, look, I played different than most people. I had to put, I had to have an enemy and I had to play with hate. And no matter who it was on the other side, that was just the way I had to do it. That was what got me going every day. And maybe Manny Machado was that way. And, and the Brewers have done that and they lit him up. They lit him up. Christian Yelich said what he said. And now the Dodgers are in the World Series with Manny Machado. And he's been great ever since that moment. So who knows if the White Sox are going to try to sign Manny Machado, if he would agree to even come here. Who knows? But the question I want to ask you about is because of what you said about Machado. And, you know, the talent is supreme. I mean, I know he's not the defender that Arenado is, but considering kind of how he's playing right now, would you want him to be the face of your franchise because with the Dodgers he's not the face of the franchise but if he came to say the White Sox he'd be the face would he be the kind of guy you want to be the face of your franchise with all this I don't want to call it baggage because it really isn't that yet but he's had this you know this feeling out there of like well Manny Machado brings more than just the talent well someone that's been through that and not that I was ever a face of a franchise but I've been through that and I've had to answer those questions I mean each organization values things differently and I know having played for seven different teams, seven different organizations value things differently. Would you like everyone to be a saint, like, say, Adrian Beltre, who seems to do everything right? Um, yeah, you would. Would you like someone to be uh, do everything the perfect way? And, and But people make mistakes. We're humans. Again, that's kind of where it gets back to, hey, people are human beings. They're not robots. They have emotions. They have bad days. We, we make mistakes. Um, as the face of the franchise, you'd have to sit down with Manny and have a long, hard talk with him and be like, hey, look, if we're going to sign you to this deal, you know, the talent is there. The, the It looks like he wants to win. I mean, he sure comes across like he wants to win. And, and the willingness to, to do whatever it takes to win seems like it's there. So you'd have to have a long talk with him and say, hey, look, if we're going to give you $250 million over 10 years or whatever it is, or $30, $300 million over 10 years, hey, we need you to fix these things. And if you get the right answer from him, I mean, why not? Why would you not sign the guy? He's, he's, he's as talented as anybody in baseball, maybe other than who, Mike Trout? I mean, yeah. who else is out there? I mean, he's he's right there with him. He plays a premium position. He plays in the infield closer to and anytime you get closer to home plate, I think the value of a player goes up. He can play shortstop. He can play third. I mean, he could play first if you needed to him. He could play outfield. I'm sure if you needed him to. So, I mean, his value is is off the charts talent wise. But each organization is going to sit down with him and say, "Hey guys, we need to talk about this." And his agent's going to deflected and say, oh, it was a bad moment, this and that. But, you know, each organization, I've been there, and each organization is going to sit down. You might have to fly, say, the White Sox want to sign him. You're going to have to sit down with Jerry Reinsdorf, Rick Hahn, and Kenny Williams, and and Ricky Renneria and say, hey, guys, this is what we need out of you. And if he answers the questions right, then maybe the White Sox go for it. Um, would he look good in a White Sox uniform? Absolutely. But he looked good in any uniform. Yeah. Right, so the World Series is Red Sox-Dodgers. Is it Red Sox-Dodgers or – is it really Alex Cora against Dave Roberts? You know where I'm going with this, right? Well, you're going sabermetrics. Well, it was oh, Craig man. Council. I, I it feel was like Craig I... Council, they tried to trick their way through, and it worked all the way to the NLCS. But eventually, see, here's the difference. The team with the best starting pitching usually wins, okay? I know that there's all these tricks and all these – you try to get too cute. It cost the Dodgers last year, and I think they learned from it this year. Yeah. It cost the Dodgers against 
last year against the Astros. Rich Hill game two came out in the fourth inning. It ruined their bullpen for the next five games. The Brewers, guess what? The one game it went extra innings. It ruined their whole bullpen for the rest of the time. And anytime you go into a series like Craig Council's like, hey, we know game five is going to be tough for us. Well, you're already, okay, so you're already conceding game five. Well, most of the time, game five is the most important game in all, in all of the series. Yeah, how can, you concede any, how can you concede any playoff game? <laughs> well, I mean, Craig Council pretty much said that. Right. Craig Council's a great guy and a great manager, but he's like, hey, we're, we always knew we were going to have a hard time in game five. Well, why? Because you won't let your pitcher, I mean, because you start Gio Gonzalez for a third of an inning. You start Julius Yashin, who's been your best pitcher, starting pitcher all year. You let him go two innings, and then you bring in Hader in the third inning in game seven. Well, three, four, five, and for the third, fourth, and fifth inning, well, guess what? You still got to cover six, seven, eight, nine, which end up Jeffers coming in and giving up three-run homer, and then they're down 5-1. They can't come back. I mean, so there's times I get I get the sabermetric stuff. I get don't let a guy face, but you're also counting on relief pitchers to be perfect every one yes. of them every time they go out yep. there, and that's yep. so hard because, again, they're human beings. Yeah, because that's, that that's what I was going to follow up with in that take the sabermetrics out of it. Every time you go to a reliever, regular season, postseason, you are relying on that reliever having his good stuff that day. You're a catcher, or you were a catcher. I mean, you, you knew. I mean, how, how many guys in the bullpen have their good stuff every day? I, you, well, I mean, some guys do, some guys don't. It's just a matter of time. I mean, you never know. Heck, they can make a good pitch, and a guy can – Right. Get a blue pit over the third baseman's head with a broken bat. I mean, it, it just is it's hard. But if you look over time, and I know, look, we're changing baseball, and I'm all for it. Like, if people think they have a better solution and better ways to do things, then I'm all for it. And show me and prove it to me. And they're, and they're, and they're proving things. But when it comes to the postseason and it comes to the playoffs, every time you look at it, the team with the best starting pitching – in that series has won. Now, I'm not saying over the course of 162 games, but in that series, they've won. If you look at the series that we've seen, the Red Sox starters outpitched the Astros starters. That's why they're in the World Series. The Dodgers starters outpitched the Brewers series through seven games. That's why they're in the World Series. It's not because, hey, we tricked them and we got cute and we tried to do this or that. It's because their starters outpitched the other team's starters and saved the bullets of the bullpen. Yeah, do you think, and, though, that Council was thinking, well, my bullpen's better than my starting rotation, so let's put those guys in more? Well, I mean, that's fine, but if Hader's your ultimate weapon in Game 7, he's your number one weapon, you're down 2-1, to one. okay, at the most, Hader's going to give you three innings, which he did. He gave you three scoreless, right? Yeah. Then he came out, but he still had four innings to cover. In those four innings, the Dodgers scored three more runs, put the game away, made it 5-1. to one. Now, I'm not saying this or that was the right move or not. But, I mean, to bring in your best weapon, your best bullet, in the third inning of a must-win game, to me, that almost shows panic. That's panic. We don't have anything else. Yeah. And Craig Council, look, I love Craig Council. I played against him. I've talked to him in managers' meetings. I did that series. He is awesome, great guy. I mean, all these managers now, Hinch, Cora, Aaron Boone, Bud Black sitting down with them. The way they communicate with these players is off the charts. It's changed so much. They, they, they consider themselves equals, whereas before the manager was above the players. Guess what? They're equals now, and it's great. The communication is off the charts good right now. But you know what? At some point when you bring in your ultimate weapon, and they said it on the broadcast, Smoltz and Buck, they said it. You know, this has always been the thing. When are they going to bring in Hader? Well, if you bring him in the third inning, the Dodgers know he's gone. So if they can just weather that storm for three innings, they know their cake. And you know what? As soon as he came out, they gave up three runs. Yeah. You almost want, as a player, 
well, now you wouldn't want this, but if you're if you're the opposition and you know haters out there, it's almost like watching a uh, a thriller, like a movie. Like you know it's coming and it's later. So now is your chance to do whatever you can to avoid it. Exactly. And once he was out, I mean, again, he came in the third inning. Once he was out, I don't care who they brought in. I mean, Hater's probably what the best, one of the top three relievers in all of baseball. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, with his numbers and his stuff. So as soon as he's out, it doesn't matter. I mean, unless you're bringing in Mariano Rivera behind him, Trevor Hoffman behind Hater, which obviously, no offense to Jeremy Jeffers, Joaquin Soria, Sedano, all these guys behind him, but they're not as good. I mean, the Dodgers, like, all right, we survived Hater. We're still up two to one. Guess what, guys? We can score now. And what they do? Boom, boom, boom. Three run homer or three runs, five one, game's over, series over. Yeah, I just felt like almost like an umpire. You don't want to be talking about the umpires. I don't want to be talking about the managers this much. And that, I just felt like I was watching too much of Council and Roberts. But I want to bring up this. Well, so, Dave Roberts was less, if you notice. Now, compared to last well, year. Well, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yes. Compared to where Dave Roberts was last year. Yeah. And all the moves he made and how much they talked about him last year. Dave Roberts, if you notice, he sat back. He let Bueller go. He let Kershaw go. He let Rich Hill go. He let these guys go. He didn't he, – Ryu, he let him go as long as he could. Yeah. He learned from last year, and I think the Dodgers learned from last year because of the World Series. Brandon Morrow pitched seven games out of seven last year in the World Series. Like, you can't do that. No. Like, eventually you're going to get tired. You guys get tired? <laughs> I mean – I thought you were robots. Every once in a while, you get a little tired, maybe. <laughs> All right, so Kimbrell, turns out he was tipping his pitches, and Eric Gagne, former Dodger reliever and, I guess, teammate of Alex Cora, he contacted him and told him he was tipping pitches. So you watch games religiously. You were a catcher. You know, actually, now forget about when you caught. When you're watching games nowadays, how often do you guys see pitchers tipping pitches? Well, I don't look for it because I never looked for it when I played. You didn't. Now, okay. there, there are certain guys. Alex Cora is one. Joey Cora was one, his brother. Alex Cintron, who's on the Astros, is one. Uh, Cintron Eddie, did Eddie, that? Really? Cintron was the best. Cintron would come in after every bat and be like, oh, I got his pitches. And we'd be like, what's he doing? He'd be like, he's a quarter inch higher on his curveball than he's a fastball. We're like, Alex, if you know every, every pitch, why are you hitting 200? <laughs> That's what I was going to say. If he knew all the information, why did he bat 200? <laughs> so, I mean, I used to make fun of him, and I still do to this day when I see him. Like, you got this guy, and I'll never forget, last year in the playoffs, he came, when I did their series, he's like, oh, we got this guy. And he showed it to me. And I'm like, dude, there's no way you can show someone that, and they'll know the difference between A and B. And he's like, no, no, our guys are good like that. And I'm like, okay, well, good for you. And they went out, and whoever it was, I'm not going to say the name of the pitcher, but they went out and banged him. And I was like, wow, all right, you wow. guys do have something. So he so, had I mean, a gift. Yeah, I mean, there's certain guys that just look for that. And Eduardo Perez, Eddie Perez is another one that was – really good at that so i mean there's just people that are good at that i mean we had when i was with the white sox we had we had mike gellinger who that's all he did i mean when he would sit during the game we had a camera dedicated to the pitcher staring right at the pitcher and he'd be like hey i got this guy i think we're like what do you mean he got him he's like well if you look at this and it was like literally like eight out of ten times you can tell and i'm like well i need ten out of ten because if i go up there and i think a curveball is coming and he throws it a fastball and i make it out i'm going to be pissed and he's like no i understand so, I mean, if there was a, there was, there was a, every once in a while we'd run into a 100% guy. And that was when I was like, okay, now I want to know. But if it was 8 out of 10, 7 out of 10, I was like, no, I'll just take my chances. Hmm. Interesting. Chris Sale came out and said he had an infection. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> what? He doesn't have a belly button ring. I know, I know, I know. So my question was this. 
He said he had an infected belly button, which is obviously not the tr truth. Would you, A.J. Pruszynski, ever have the nerve to say to the media, to joke to the media, lie to the media, whatever you want to say, that you had an injury that was not exactly what it was? Well, I was, uh, luckily for me, I was very rarely injured. And when I was, That's people, true. Usually, people usually knew what it was. I mean, I was hit by a pitch or, you know, some guy threw at me or some guy tried to take my head off at home plate or whatever it was. So I usually had a pretty good excuse. Now, I will say this about Chris Sale. I did text him and I asked him what was wrong as a friend because he's a buddy of mine. And he would not give me the reason. So uh, maybe it was a belly button ring. <laughs> it was not. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think that's the case. But he is going to be pitching game one. I, listen, yeah. the, the, uh, the Red Sox are 16 and a half games better or were 16 and a half games better than the Dodgers in the regular season. I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, you're right. All they need to do is win four before the Red Sox or the Dodgers win four. Do you like the Red Sox or the Dodgers in the series? Uh, you know, I honestly thought it was going to be the Astros again. They were just playing so well. I did not see the Red Sox doing what they did to the Astros. Especially with the Astros starters, Verlander, Cole, Keuchel, and they just went out and hammered them. After game one, I mean, it was like, man, they flipped a switch. Maybe they, maybe they all were tipping. Maybe every Astro guy was tipping pitches. I don't know. But um, I honestly thought it was going to be Astros. I've been wrong the whole way. I thought it would be Astros, Brewers, so, um, Dodgers, Red Sox. So I'm way off. So I honestly think the Red Sox are going to win just because it feels like every once in a while a team has that year where everything comes together. And from day one, the Red Sox have had that this year. Um, but saying that, now that means the Dodgers will win. But I honestly think the Red Sox will figure out a way to win. Yeah, they just – they seem to have too many answers. They can find different – Well, you know, the, the thing about the Dodgers is they're left-hand starting dominant. Well, guess what? The Red Sox are right-hand hitting yeah. in Fenway Park. So, I mean, yeah. that's like – it's like, ah, you know, Kershaw's as great as a, you know, Hall of Famer, great pitcher, one of the best of all time. You know, Fenway Park's a different animal. That short porch in left field. Uh, Ryu. You know, they're boot bets, Pierce, Martinez. You know, they're all right-handed. Bogarts, Kinsler, they're all right-handed. You know, by they 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 don't lose much by having a lefty start. Whereas some teams, you take out some big boppers left-handed, and because you start a left-handed pitcher, the Red Sox don't have that problem. They're actually better. So it's like, ah, what do we do? Dodgers have who they have. So Rich Hill. I mean, it's like, who do we start? These are all left-handed starters. Other than Bueller, they're all left-handed starters. And the Red Sox, honestly, can get better next season. Look around the diamond. What position can they improve at? Uh, third base, maybe? Well, I was going to go first base. Oh, Pierce has been pretty good since he went over there. Mitch Moreland's a pretty good player. Made an all-star team this year. Yeah, he did. But my, I'm just kind of looking into the future. If the Arizona Diamondbacks make Paul Goldschmidt available, <laughs> I mean, think about it. Why don't that. the White Sox go get him? <laughs> Maybe they should. Well, they got a Brayu. They both have one year left on their contract. Well, one of them could DH, right? Yeah. Abreu doesn't like that. Maybe they can talk Goldschmidt into it. Well, yeah, I don't. I don't like bringing guys over from the National League who played every day and now ask them to be a DH. That doesn't work for the White Sox. Maybe you bring Canerco back. <laughs> I think he's done. I never know. They always have one more year left in them. No, I think we all we already saw the one more year left in them. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's not nice, Chuck. You know I love Paul. I love Canerco. I'm tell him you said that. <laughs> he, you know what he would say? He was right. Who? I was right or you were right? I was that I was right. I mean, come on. <laughs> I would love to see Paul Canerco back in a White Sox uniform tomorrow, yesterday. Coming up, more of my conversation with AJ. 
It's story time with AJ as he tells some stories about certain former White Sox players. That's next. Keep your money local. Bring it home to a Wintrust Community Bank, home of White Sox checking with free ATMs nationwide. Find out more at Wintrust.com slash Sox. Members FDIC. Ricky's boys don't quit, and neither does NBC Sports Chicago's coverage. Download the My Teams app by NBC Sports and get your White Sox anytime, anywhere. You are so good at telling, first off, your memory. You've got a great baseball memory, and you're an amazing storyteller. And I know there are some stories you can't tell, and I respect that, and that's fine. But if I, can I, like, name some interesting White Sox players in your past, and you just tell a story that pops in your head if you got one. Is that cool? It depends on who they are, but yeah. Okay, okay. Well, the first one, like right in your wheelhouse, and it's got to be obviously a story you can tell, Juan Uribe. What do you got on Juan Uribe? I always tell people I wish I was Juan Uribe. Because Juan Uribe is the smartest, dumbest person I've ever been around in my life. (laughs) Juan Uribe would have a good game, bad game. He was the same person. Why? Because he didn't know the difference. He was just like, I see ball, I hit ball. I love Juan Uribe. I played with him in the White Sox, and then he came over when I was in Atlanta. He's one of my all-time favorites. I love Juan Uribe, and, man, I wish I could have been him. All right. Gavin Floyd. Uh, Gavin Floyd, I wish Gavin – Gavin had some of the best stuff I've ever seen. Uh, And there was a time in New York – I don't know if I'm allowed to tell this story, but we'll tell it anyways. And he, he got mad at me because I asked him some questions that he didn't like. And he came in after he got taken out, and he threw and he kicked the, the wall. And I went in in the training room after he was getting his work done after the game, and I said, Gavin, you know, I finally wanted to see some fight out of you. Was, I hate you because you made me get mad. He said to you he hates you because you, you made him get mad? Yeah. Oh, come on, Gavin. And I, was like, and I was like, Gavin, we all wanted to see some fight in you. So Yeah. Uh, but I feel bad for Gavin because Gavin is one of the most talented guys I've ever seen. And I, he one time, what was it, eight and – Eight and a third, eight and two thirds. He pitched no hit yep. against the Twins, and instead of Ozzy, so Ozzy made the mistake of leaving. I think Nick Swisher instead of Brian Anderson in center field, and Joe Maurer hit a ball that Brian Anderson probably would have caught, and Gavin probably would have thrown a no hitter. But unfortunately, Nick was out there, and the ball fell in. Funny you say Nick. I got him on my list here. Got oh, a Nick. <laughs> got a Nick Swisher story. Oh, dirty thirty, bro. <laughs> Dirty thirty. I mean, no. I, you know what? Actually, I actually like Nick. You know, Nick and I had an interesting relationship with the White Sox. Then I played with him with the Braves. And the thing that people need to understand about Nick is Nick is actually a good-hearted fellow deep down. Um, you know, he puts on a show. Which hey, we're we're showmen. We're we're out there. We're entertainers. And uh, Nick is a good fellow. And you know, he's dirty thirty. He'll always be dirty thirty. I know he went to the Yankees, and I just never forget Paul Canerco. We talked about Canerco earlier. And, we traded him. Ozzy told him he's going to trade him. He traded him to the Yankees, and they went out and won the World Series. And I'll never forget. Canerco looked at Ozzy and goes, "You really showed him. You sent him to New York, and he won a World Series. Way to go, Ozzy! You showed him." Listen, he wanted to win. Yeah, I think he did want to win. I'll never forget. It was the '08. That's when he comes over at spring training, and he's in the clubhouse. This is, you know, right the first three days of uh, of spring training, and he's causing a ruckus he's screaming ranting and raving and jim tomey's on the other side of the clubhouse kind of like looking at him and with like a puzzling look like what are you doing and nick screams across the clubhouse to jim this is what it's gonna be like jim just like this whole season and 
you could tell like Tommy going, okay, I don't know about this. <laughs> well, that was a lie because about August he didn't talk because he was mad because he didn't play. So that's not true. <laughs> uh, no, you know, speaking of that, so here, here you go. So Swish, I'll never forget, Swish was hitting eighth in spring training. And he comes in one day, he's like, I'm hitting eighth in spring tra- I'm hitting eighth in this lineup. He goes, by the end of May, I'll be hitting fourth. And, and me and Jermaine and Canerco and Tommy, we are like, well, whose spot are you going to take? And he's like, what do you mean? And we're like, well, we got, we got uh, Uribe. Or we got Canerco hitting third. We got or Jermaine hitting third. Canerco hitting fourth. Tommy hitting fifth. Quentin hitting sixth. Creedy hitting seventh. You know, I was hitting second that year. We're like, well, whose spot are you going to take? And he's like, bro, I'll take them all. <laughs> and, we, and then we traded for Griffey. So we were like, all right, so now whose spot are you going to take? Yeah, he was on the bench after that, right? He, he was. Well, soon yeah, after was, that. Yeah. I got two more names here. Manny Ramirez. Uh, well, he didn't bring a whole lot to the table. I know that. No. That year. You know what? I love Manny was actually a really – having played against Manny and seeing the tricks and all the stuff that he did, he actually was a really good guy in the clubhouse. I mean, he just he, – he was smiling. He was always happy. He didn't he didn't do a lot when he came over. He was kind of dumb when he got to the White Sox. But I will say this about Manny. One thing about Manny was he took a lot of strike threes right down the middle and complained to the umpire, and the crowd would get on the umpire. So for that, I give him credit. Okay. Uh, Bartolo Colon, who you caught in 2009. I, I caught. You know what? The, my favorite Bartolo Colon story was in 2009 when he was at the White Sox. He disappeared. We couldn't find him. No one could find him. He went on the DL with an elbow problem, disappeared. No one could find him for like a month. And they finally get a hold of his agent, and they found him somewhere in the Dominican. And he's like, yeah, I'm done for the year. I'm not pitching anymore. And then he went, I think, to the Yankees the next year, and, and he's been pitching ever since. <laughs> I know. I know. That was so he pitched for the Yankees in 2010 and he's still been in baseball 9 years later. Yeah, he also once hit me when he was with Cleveland, I was in Minnesota in just like 2002 and uh he hit me in the back 99, I'll never forget. He threw me, hit me and I just went to first and then we ended up going to Japan that year. Uh MLB does a tour to Japan and I, him and I, he was on the trip, I was on the trip. And we were we were standing in the locker room and I looked at him and I said, "Hey, do I still have that Rawlings in my back?" And he's like, "What do you mean?" I go, where you hit hit me with that 99? I'm like, is that all you got? And he just started laughing, smiled. I mean, Bartolo's like one of the – look, he's one of the great guys. Look, I mean, he did steroids. He did a bunch of things. I mean, but, you know, he is a good guy, and he is what he is. But, uh, you know, he, he still can pitch somehow. How do you think he did with you behind the plate? I've got his numbers. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm assuming probably not that well if you're asking me that question. <laughs> Okay, six starts with you behind the plate. He had an ERA of five one nine. Hitters slashed three fifty one four thirteen five ninety five. That's Hall of Fame stuff. <laughs> yeah. Now wait, now wait. What was now the other starts without me behind the plate? What did he? That year, okay, I don't have that, but they weren't much better. And well, actually, see, so, but I will say this: that year, now, okay, first of all, so he only threw one pitch. So, I mean, you can't really blame me. It's not like I was, like, calling a game. <laughs> right. It was either fastball inside or fastball outside. Yeah. That'd be like if I was on the mound and you don't want to see that happen. You would, all I could probably throw is a fastball. So you'd go, okay, fastball to the right, fastball to the left. That's it. Exactly. So, I mean, it wasn't like there was a lot of thinking going on out there. I'm like, hey, Bartolo, let's try a, let's, hey, Bart, let's try a slider. And he'd, he'd just smile. And I'm like, no, fastball. I'm like, okay, well, let's try the fastball again. <laughs> How about a Joe Creedy story? One last guy. Uh, I mean, there's so many. Obviously, everyone knows the Don't Stop Believing. Right. Joe we know that one. The, the, okay, so one time, Joe, Carlos Quentin in 2008 used to take animal crackers and put them in Joe Creedy's um, locker every day. And 
every day he every day he put a little animal cracker, and it would just make Qu- Carlos Quentin so mad every day for no reason. I don't know why. But one day, so Quentin made him made him mad after like ten days in a row of doing this. We're on a bus, and Joe Creedy took Quentin's jacket, ripped it off of him, and wadded it up into a little ball, and threw it at him. And said, "Yeah, take that, you rookie." And that was Joe Creedy to a, to a T right there. Whatever you did to Joe Creedy, like say you pulled a prank on Joe Creedy, like goofed with him, and you like, I don't know, put something in his shoe or something, he'd blow up your house. Yeah, he took it to the next level. He took it like 10 levels past the next level. Oof. And he was a quiet guy for a while. Got to look he out was, for those quiet yeah. guys. That's right. All right, good stuff. Hey, you know, Steve Perry's got a new album out. I heard that rumor. It's not a rumor. It's true. I, I, I know. I actually, I actually invited him to come on the podcast. He said no. He said that he can't, but he sent his apologies. I got, at least I got an apology from Steve Perry. Well, that's very nice of Steve. But he wouldn't even like come on this podcast, White Sox podcast, to talk about his album. He couldn't do more promotion. I mean, he was our mascot in 2005. You think he at least could do I that? I know. I know. I should have dropped your name. <laughs> that would have made him not, definitely not do it. <laughs> Well, hey, thanks for uh, doing this. I appreciate it. No problem. Is that, uh, is that your son I hear in the background or your daughter? Yeah, my son just walked in from school. I'm outside with I have the dogs outside, so he just came in yelling at him. Are you, is, is the dog still known as Noah? Noah, and then I have another one, Eve, that's a different one. Okay, well, at least it's not Noah. You can't name a dog Noah. Well, you did. No- Noah. <laughs> yeah, Noah. But does like Noah Noah's know art. the difference between Noah and Noah? Yeah, he knows. Oh, he, he does know. I, he knows when I when I get it, you know, I get after him. Okay, that's good. AJ, thanks, man. Thank you. All right, my thanks to AJ Brzezinski for coming on the podcast. He is uh, always uh, a great guest and great conversationalist. Good stuff from him. Awesome baseball knowledge. I can listen to him talk baseball for hours and hours and hours. So. My thanks again to AJ, and thank you for listening to this edition of the White Sox Talk Podcast, brought to you by Wintrust Community Bank, home of White Sox checking with free ATMs nationwide. Check out their special White Sox webpage, www.wintrust.com. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.